scripture reading is going to be from Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 23. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 23. My son, keep thy father's commandments, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs of instructions are the way of life. If you, if you knew what I was preaching, you may not want to come today. I didn't, I didn't even send the outline out. I was so afraid you wouldn't come. Here it is. The pain of adultery. Deliverance from the pain of adultery. And it's right here in the Bible in Proverbs chapter 6. And I'd like to just read one verse. Actually, let me read from verse 24 down to the end of the chapter of Proverbs chapter 6. It says in Proverbs 6.24, To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he, ba- if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Can you please read with me verse 34 and 35? For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. So we'll pray. And of course we've seen the past number of weeks such heinous, senseless, you, you run out of adjectives to try to, to try to describe the unprovoked acts of horrible, horrifying murder that happen really daily in our country. And we do grieve with the families, we grieve with the communities, we grieve with the parents who lost these precious lives, both in Buffalo recently. People just going to a supermarket, shopping. Children going into a school. These places that we've always viewed as safe are no longer safe in our country. We really need God. We need to turn back to God. We need the Lord. We're a sick, sick nation because we've turned away from God. So let's pray. Father, forgive us of our sins. Our hearts do grieve for the tragedies that happen. But we know that You are good, Lord, and You are a stronghold in the day of trouble. We do pray, God, for the many who grieve today the loss of their precious lives, even in past weeks, 
to this past week, Lord. Draw near. God, come down. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to turn back to You, Lord, and know that You are willing to save and You are willing to restore and revive. We need revival, Lord, for our survival in this country. So do it for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, deliverance from the pain of adultery. And I I want to keep a positive emphasis on this and emphasize the deliverance piece because we need deliverance from it. Not one of us here is above the possibility of being dragged into awful, wicked, sexual sins that would destroy us. Not one of us is beyond that possibility. And so we need deliverance from it and we need to realize the seriousness of it. And these are just a couple things that were... I saw this in the news yesterday. This was last Sunday, a pastor who has preached in his church for many years. His name is John Lowe. New Life Church in the Midwest of our country. He stood up and confessed last Sunday to adultery. And he said, about 20 years ago, I committed adultery. And it went on for too long, but he confessed it. He said, I confess it to the church. It was sin. And the church gave him a standing ovation of appreciation that he confessed his sin. But as soon as he got off the pulpit, a, a woman came forward and said, it wasn't about 20 years ago. It was 27 years ago and I was 16 years old and I'm the girl and my life has been a, a prison with, with him. And the church was stood in stunned silence because he didn't just commit adultery, he committed rape, statutory rape against a minor. This is a pastor. This... I saw in the news yesterday, you may have seen it, a love triangle. We hear of love triangles all the time. This jilted lover on, the, on your far right killed this beautiful young woman, a cyclist, because they weren't even married. They're, they're not even married. The man in the middle is the, is the man that was, they're fighting over, but he was shacking up with the, the lady on the right and then cheated with this other woman. And so this other woman killed the cyclist, a love triangle, beautiful, beautiful people. This is very serious. This is what, why I'm preaching this message today. We need deliverance from this kind of sin. So I'm not here today to beat you up. I'm here to build you up with the grace, the hope, and the power of Jesus Christ. He is the one we need. If you've come here today with a guilty conscience, He can cleanse your conscience. If you come here today tempted to get into a fornicating relationship or an adulterous relationship, I pray that you would stop because it's dangerous what you're about to do. If you've done it in the past, I'm not here to beat you up and re-guilt you. If you've done something in the past and ask God to forgive you, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. God knows every one of our hearts. But the reality is, all of us are tempted in sexual ways. Every one of us. None of us are above the temptation to do sexual immorality and to engage in it. We have to deal with it. We have to overcome it by the power of Jesus Christ. And realize that when you come into a church like this, we're we're really coming into a church of such were some of you's, you know. 
Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. Paul says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. You can't live this way in adultery and fornication and homosexuality and, and believe that you have salvation. You must repent. But the good news is, we can repent and we can change. Amen? God made us to glorify Him. God didn't make us to live out a particular sinful pattern of life. He made us to glorify Him. That's what we're created for. Such were some of you. Isn't that hopeful? <laughs> So in the church of Corinth, there were adulterers who had lived in adultery, but they were forgiven, idolaters and, and homosexuals and fornicators. Such were some of you, but they were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So in these two chapters, beginning in Proverbs chapter 5 and going through Proverbs chapter 7, there's two and a half chapters about adultery. Two and a half chapters. We can't ignore it. We can't, like, skip it. It's like, oh, let's skip over those chapters. It's there because it's important. And these are the gateway chapters to this, all the sentence proverbs. So if we're going to live out the sentence proverbs beginning in chapter 10, we have to embrace the fact that true wisdom is pure living for God. The wisdom that is from above, James chapter 3, says, is first pure is pure morally. So we have to ask God every day for cleansing. And without question, adultery, sexual sins of all kinds, bring untold pain and suffering. Adultery shreds up the home. It brings divorce, depression. It brings guilt. It brings about children being raised in single-parent home or zero-parent homes. People wondering what's going on in our country. I see a pattern, I'm not saying in every situation, but especially in, in many of these awful shootings we're seeing, we're seeing young men, like this past week, a young 18-year-old young man living with his grandmother. Where was his father? Living with someone else. Where was his mother? She has drug problems. And the father said, if I was in the home, he would have shot me. It was as if the young man was just taking out his anger on society and even against his parents, against the poor grandmother who was doing her best to raise him up. Beloved, I read an article and it resonated with me in this culture of demise that we're living in that's walked strongly away from God. He said our culture is a factory for psychopaths. Think of that. It actually, this is what you get when you do what we're doing. We're, 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 we're producing this by our unbelief. By the adultery that's taken over our country. Adultery is given a lot of prominence in Scripture. And I just want to... One thing that struck me in, Rome, in Romans chapter 13, Paul said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. And then he says, Thou shalt not bear... Uh, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And you know what struck me? Is that Paul puts adultery first. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look at the Ten Commandments, what was the order God put? God actually put in the Ten Commandments, kill first and adultery second. But Paul says, 
for whatever reason, he puts adultery first in Romans 13, verse 9. So it's a prominent sin. You know why? Because so many people are deceived when they engage in it. They think they can get away with it. But they're actually engaging in the one sin more than any other. You're going to get found out. It's going to come out. It's Because people get hurt and then people talk when they get hurt like that. It's going to bleed out. And you're going to suffer a lot for it. I'm trying to keep you from that today. Jesus put adultery first when talking to the rich young ruler. Maybe he was living in adultery. Maybe he was sexually immoral. I don't know. But he held on to his righteousness. Jesus said in talking to that rich young ruler, Jesus listed the commandments and he put adultery first in speaking to the rich young ruler. I think that's interesting. Jesus put it first. Do not commit adultery. Kill, steal, bear false witness. So adultery has given prominence throughout the Word of God. Paul listing the works of the flesh listed adultery first and fornication. Fornication is a, a more general term. Adultery is a specific term of unfaithfulness to the marriage bond. We, we understand that, right? When you commit fornication within the marriage bond, that's adultery. Fornication is the general term of any sexual immorality or union outside of the marriage bond. So it's put first out of 17 different works of the flesh. It's been a problem throughout society. It's, it's nothing new. It's here. We've got to deal with it. We must overcome it. To sin bound to go public and bring great humiliation. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, and adultery. So, I just want to look at this passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 6 and look at two main points. First of all, we must avoid, we must avoid adultery at all costs. And we have to see these two things. We have to see that it's, it's both its path and its price lead to pain. So that's the message. Avoid adultery at all costs. Because its path, the path you go down, as well as its price, will lead you to pain. Now, the painful path of adultery, it, it doesn't make you think it's going to lead to such pain. It seems even at the beginning, wow, there's pleasure in it. Obviously there's pleasure in it. People wouldn't do it. It seems pleasurable. But look at the path to adultery here that we read it right in Proverbs. I want to stick with the text here. So we see, first of all, the path begins with being charmed by, her, by the flattery of her tongue. Being charmed. That's in verse 24. So, Proverbs written by Solomon. Solomon, who himself was led into very immoral relationships later on in his life, is, is trying to keep back his son from sins that he himself would fall into. Isn't that ironic and sad? But he says, keep to the Word of God, basically. Put the Word of God in your heart to keep you from the evil woman and from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. The flattery. The flattery is slippery, smooth, deceptive speech. That's flattery. Slippery, smooth. Oh, wow. You are so hunky. You know, or whatever. Now, notice she's described. Notice how this woman is described. She is described... What are the two words in verse 
24 that describe her. She's called what in verse 24? What kind of woman? She's, she's called an evil woman. And she's called a strange woman. Now look in verse 26. What is she called there? She's called a whorish. And that means a harlot. That means, and who, that's a harlot. A whore. A whore. I mean, that's a whorish woman. She's a prostitute. She's, she, she's willing to sell herself. But here, this woman is not a... She's actually married later on in the text. We'll see. But it says that she's... In verse number 26, what kind of woman? An adulterous woman. So those are the four words that describe her. Now, and I've said this before and I want to say it again. God is not beating up on women here as if men are not guilty. You can reverse it around. And I already gave you those illustrations of the pastor who sinned. and So it's not always the woman. Many times women are the victims, like this 16-year-old girl from a, a man in the ministry, in his church office. How awful. So, but here we have the text and it is what it is. But, and I also want to share this as hope. There's out of these four words... Strange and whorish. You know who's called in the Bible a, str- a stranger? In other words, she's outside of Israel. She's not of, of, of Israeli, Israeli, uh, uh, Israelite by descent, by birth. She's a stranger to Israel. You know who's called a stranger in the Bible? Ruth. Ruth, who received grace from God. And you know who's a harlot, a whore in the Bible? <laughs> Rahab. So there's hope for anyone. By the grace of God. But he's being warned warned not to be charmed, not to be coaxed by the tongue of this strange, adulterous woman. Her deceptive words of flattery are slippery smooth like black ice. You know what black ice is, right? So I thought of black ice when I thought of slippery smooth but deceptive. And how black ice is, is the highway in wintertime when you're driving and it's a very thin sheet of ice that you cannot see with your eye. But then when you get on that black ice, you slip and slide on the ice and where do you end up? You end up in the ditch. And so he's saying, don't be charmed by the flattery of her tongue because you're going to slip and crash into a ditch, dazed and injured. Now look in Proverbs chapter 5, please. Just go back to Proverbs chapter 5, because actually, this matter of this woman, this strange woman, being full of flattering words, is part of what he says almost every time we meet her. We met her first back in Proverbs chapter 2, and verse number 16. And there the flattery of her words was mentioned. But in Proverbs chapter 5, we meet her again. We see the flattering of her words. Look in verse 3 of Proverbs chapter 5. He says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, so they're sweet. Her mouth is smooth, smoother than oil. I mean, she could sweet talk this guy. Wow, oh, I love your car, man. Wow, how do you keep it so clean? Oh, really? You work there? Oh, only really sharp dudes can work at a place like that, you know? But men can sweet talk to girls too, all right? So watch out for people just giving you flattery. And then he says in verse 4, but her end, 
You see, it seems pleasurable, the flattery seems pleasurable, but the end of it is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Ultimately, those words are going to slice you up like a shredder. You know, you put your paper in a shredder. Picture that as the flattery of the tongue, like shred it up. You can't read a thing. Her, her, her end is a sharp two-edged sword, and then her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell, lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable that you canst not know them. So the point is, is that the flattery of the tongue distracts you from the truth of God's Word. You start thinking about how great you are, how beautiful you are, how handsome you are, and then you're led into this illicit relationship and you forget God. Because He says here, lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life. And so if you go back to Proverbs chapter 6, this is exactly what He's saying here. He's saying, bind the Word of God on your heart. Tie them about your neck. So the, the practical counsel here is tie the Word of God around your heart. Love the Word of God in the core of your being so you won't be deceived by the slippery words of flattery. That's the practical application and counsel from God's Word. Love the Word of God. And let me also say this for those of you who are not married, and even those of us who are seeking to live in sexual purity. This all could take place in the heart. Didn't Jesus say if you look after a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. This could also take place by actually replacing your love for God for anything that you're coveting after. Because Paul says that covetousness is idolatry. And so we need to love God because, as James says, he, he, he basically says, you are adulterers and adulterers, adulteresses, he says, because you have loved this present world. So if you love the things of this world more than God, and in a way you're, a spiritual, you're committing spiritual adultery, right? If you love the things of this world more than God, you've committed adultery. Because we're betrothed to Jesus Christ. And we're to love Jesus Christ. But if I just love the things, if I love the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, I'm committing spiritual adultery. And this is also in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. Read that verse with me, please. It says, Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. Don't put God in your love triangle, in other words. <laughs> in other words, you say, I love God, but oh, I love my sin over here. That's, that's spiritual adultery. So we can make an application, all of us can make an application of this in our lives. It's not just for married people. All of us can make an application of spiritual adultery. The second thing here we see in this path that leads to adultery that might seem pleasurable is going back to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 25. He says, lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Lust not. And that word lust is literally the word covet. That's the word that is used of Achan when he coveted and took the gold and the silver and the Babylonian garment. That's the word in the, in the law of God. When God says, thou shalt not covet. What does He say we're not to covet? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. 
or your neighbor's car. It says that right in the law. No, it says his ox. (laughs) So you don't have an ox for me to covet, but maybe you have a car for me to covet. So don't covet his car. Don't covet his house. Don't covet. Now, do you have to go anywhere to covet? Do you have to do anything? No, you can just sit there and it's in your heart. Covetousness is a lust of the heart. So, men love beauty. Men love beautiful women. That's why we get married. (laughs) So, it's not a bad thing to marry a beautiful woman. That's what we're all after, right? We want to marry beauty. But... Our high society does put a high premium on beauty and men are often allured by it. So the young man is warned, don't be allured and don't covet a beautiful woman to to be with a woman, especially if she's married to somebody else. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. That's a good verse if you're being tempted with the internet. Do not lust after the beauty that's on the internet. And don't look for somebody who's as beautiful as these women who might be on the internet. Coveting is idolatry, idolatry of the heart. And so if you uh, covet some, uh, uh, somebody's beauty, whether they're, if you're a girl, you're coveting that man because he's, he's, he's so handsome, you know, I've never seen any man, I've never seen anybody so handsome as that guy you tell your girlfriend, you know. But don't think that that makes it okay to get into a relationship with him. Does he know the Lord? Is he saved? Is she born again? Do they love God? Look at a person's character. Look beyond the skin. There's an amazing verse that will keep us from being hooked by beauty alone because you'll be like a fish hooked by that pretty Lord, you know? And the verse, do I have it? No, I don't have the verse. Oh, I put it in your notes. That's where I put it. But it, go, go to a verse in Proverbs 11. Go to that verse. It's kind of a funny verse, actually. I mean, you chuckle a little bit because I'm going to say something that's like, wow. But God is making this analogy. It's, it's, there's some humor to it, but it's to make a point. Proverbs 11:22. you read it. What does it say? As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout... So is a fair woman, which is without discretion. So he's telling this young man, if you go after a girl just because she's beautiful, what might you end up with? A pig. (laughs) There, I said it, okay. But that's what it says. Is that what it says? And ladies... If you think all that matters about you is your physical appearance, you might end up one, and you don't want to be one. And you know, so it's the inward man, it's the inward woman of the heart that God is concerned with. Not the outward beauty. Beauty, actually, the book of Proverbs ends. What's, what's vain? Beauty is vain, he says. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So he's trying to keep his son from the, from the pathway that would lead him into immorality by coveting the beauty of her appearance, by being charmed by the flattery of her tongue. And, and the practical counsel here is if you are being, uh, if you are coveting and if you are being charmed by the ways of this world and by outward beauty, by the internet, 
by immoral relationships. I want to give you some practical counsel. And that is, develop meaningful relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Develop meaningful relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Get involved in our Iron Sharpens Iron Fellowship that Micah leads. Get involved with our women's fellowship that our women lead. By the way, Sister Megan, I know, led the women yesterday in a wonderful Bible study. The third thing here is don't be captured by the look in her eyes. Now, I don't believe he's saying that eye contact is wrong because, you know, eye contact is vital for communication. But if you look in this verse, in verse 25, he says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. What's the point there? The point is, is that with our eyes, we can communicate quite a bit without saying anything. It's called nonverbal communication. We know that. And one of the ways we communicate nonverbally is through our eyes. And you can communicate to someone your interest in them somehow by the way you look at them. So be careful and be aware of that. Somebody could, somebody could maybe even wrongly read into your, to the way you look at them. And I'm not saying you're wrong on that, but we just have to be careful. Even how we use our eyes and eye contact can capture a man. So he says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. And the word take, neither let her take thee, is literally the word captive. That's why I'm using that word captive or to be captured. Do not let her capture thee. Take thee with her eyelids. And I look that word up. You know the first time it's used in the Bible? It's used when God took the man and put him in the garden. God captured the man. God captured the man. He took the man and put him in the garden. So the practical counsel is here is don't be captured by the sins of this world. There are so many sins that will capture you, will look at you in a way that say, come on and do this. Don't be captured. By the sins of this life, let Jesus capture you. Let the love of Jesus Christ touch you and capture you. So those are a few things about being aware of the painful path that leads to adultery. Now I want to look at being aware, beware of the painful price of adultery. Beware of the painful price of adultery. Adultery carries a severe price, a certain price, and an ongoing price from these verses. Adultery carries an inescapable and immeasurable price. And there's three things. I'm just going to try to summarize these verses from 26, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26 down to the end with three simple words. The first thing is, you will be destroyed. So the father's telling his, his son, do not go after an adulterous woman because she's hunting for you to destroy you like this lion is hunting or this tiger is hunting for that beast, whatever it is. And it's not to play checkers. He's hunting for destruction. It will be a severe price that beast will pay when he's caught. By that cat, that mad cat. 
So people are hunting for your life to destroy you. The devil is prowling, seeking whom he may devour. Now the King James Version is interesting here. Look at this verse, 26. And our King James translates it one way, and a lot of modern translations translate it another way, so I don't know what translation you're looking at, but the King James Version says, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. So the writer, according to our King James Bible, and I love this translation, and I stick with it, he says basically that if you give yourself over to adultery, you will come to poverty. You will come to a piece of bread. And then what he's basically saying is that, that that's a small price you'll pay in comparison to what you'll actually lose. Because what do you lose? The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. You'll lose your life. So you might come to a piece of bread and that's bad. You might come to poverty, no good. But what's worse? You'll be destroyed in your life. That's one way to look at it. Now, other translations put it this way. They, they basically say that the price of a prostitute is a piece of bread. In other words, it's translated by means of a horse woman. She just asked for a piece of bread. But she's actually after what? Your life. That's true also. <laughs> In other words, you know, you can sin very cheap. It is not hard to sin. It is not hard to commit sexual sin. You could go find someone just about any night of the week to sleep with if you wanted to. You could go on the internet and do all kinds of wicked things. And by the way, these young men who are shooting and killing people up, I guarantee you they have marinated themselves in pornography. And they are completely dead and cold to the reality that every man and woman is an image bearer of God. But the point is, the immediate price of adultery is small compared to what it will ultimately cost you. That's true. It might just be a price of bread today, but it will cost you more than you can imagine in the long run. The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And that's the way it is for any sin. I mean, just think of somebody get caught up in gambling. And I've mentioned this a few times because the, the, the floodgates are open for gambling. And if you watch a sports game or anything on sports, you just even go through Moynihan Station, they're just putting gambling all... And, and they have actors, they have, they have athletes who are even, say, they're Christians... I mean, there's a quarterback, he played for the New Orleans Saints, Super Bowl quarterback, shame on Drew Brees, I say it publicly. I believe he said he's a Christian. He's advertising for people to live their bet life now. Bet. Life. No, that's a worse life. Don't get involved in gambling. It is such a horrible addiction. It, it will start, and, and they first say, oh yeah, the first thousand dollars, man, we'll give you free bets. This is like they're hooking you. They're captivating you with a lure that looks good. And then once you get addicted to that gambling thing, you'll be pouring in your thousands and thousands of dollars. There was a man in our church a few years ago. He left us all upset, but he, 
he, he got involved in such deep gambling. I looked for him and I went even to an off-track betting place one day to find him. Have you ever been into an off-track betting place? Don't raise your hand. Don't say that you've been there. <laughs> I went to look for him. I'm like, man, I feel the demons in this place. There were like demons in there. And thankfully he wasn't in there. I got out of there real fast. But basically he had sold his house and then gambled all the money away. Sin doesn't cost you much to start, but it'll cost you everything as you continue it. I'm trying to protect you today. I'm trying to keep you from... This, this woman was in the news last month. for you, you, you saw her picture, right? She had the perfect life on Facebook. She would put pictures of her husband and her children here cooking a meal. It seemed like the perfect... They live in Queens. And yet she was committing adultery with her handyman. And whatever happened, he went and he killed her. You'll be destroyed. I'm trying to protect you today. It says in verse number 32, that whoever commits adultery lacks understanding and he, de- he destroys his own soul. So adultery is a sin that will attack your soul and bring you guilt. It will take away your heart for God so that you're so obsessed you only want to commit that one sin. You forget God. You can only think of your sin at that moment. And it says you destroy your own soul. And that word destroy is used for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of Noah's world. You'll destroy your soul like God destroyed the world and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The second, or the practical counsel here, and if you're struggling with sexual sin, maybe you're even, I don't know. I don't know of anyone right now. I'm not preaching this sermon to anyone. I'm just preaching it because I'm preaching through Proverbs. And here it is, okay? But if you're engaged in sexual immorality, and that includes the Internet, that includes maybe with someone outside, and you think nobody knows about it, God knows about it. God knows about it. And you're guilty for it. You know, even if you're sitting here today, you're, you're, it's made you miserable, but you're, the, the, the sin has is, is, attached itself to you and it's dragging you. You know, because once a fish gets hooked, the, the hook has control over the fish. So the practical counsel is don't keep your temptations to yourself. Now there's something about sexual sin that is so embarrassing and humiliating, we don't want to tell other people about this one sin more than any other sin. I understand that. But this is this, if you're struggling with it today, come to somebody. Go to the Iron Sharpens Iron Meeting or talk to one of the brothers in our church and, and pray with somebody. Because, listen, as I said before, all of us, there's not one of us here that can say, I have no temptations to do something that's sexually wrong, or I've never experienced a temptation. If you've never experienced a temptation for that, then come and see me. I'd like to know how. Because, you know, I, this is, it's in the Bible because we're all weak in this area. So the, the point is, is don't keep your temptation to yourself. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to beat you down. We're here to build you up. That's how I started this sermon. We're here to encourage you. We're here to help you. 
But if you're struggling with this sin and you don't talk to anybody about it, we can't help you. So please talk to somebody about it. The second thing here, as far as this awful pain and price of adultery, not only will you be destroyed, it's a severe price, but it's certain you will be burned. Look what he says. Okay, so he asked two questions in verse 27 and 28, the same answer to both, to both questions. So I'll read them again and you answer them for me. Verse 27, Proverbs 6. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What's the answer? Of course not, right? Verse 28. Can a man walk upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? No, of course not. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it's such an obvious answer. It's like, you know the way fire works. If you put fire, if you, if you, when you were a child, what did your parents tell you when the stove was on? Don't touch that hot stove because the fire will burn you. It's, it's guaranteed. It's inescapable. It's going to put, give you pain. So he's using the illustration of fire to relate it to sexual passion. Because there is a parallel between sexual passion and fire. Think about it. Fire is essential to life. And sexual union is, is essential to life. The whole... The whole human race would die out if two people didn't come together with passion and love one another and have children in marriage as God has ordained it. So fire and a sexual union are essential to life. But with fire, you have to treat it with the utmost respect. You have to know how to use it and in what context it's to be used. Fire must be contained. You have fire in your house. It's in your stove, and it's contained. You don't want it to go past your stove, right? I have fire in my house. It's in my basement. Man, am I thankful for the fire in my house. And I put my thermostat up a few degrees, and I hear the little click, and I hear, and boom, it goes on fire. And then in ten minutes, I'm warm. So fire, when it's contained and used in its proper context, it gives us warmth. It gives us food. It allows us to eat. But it must be used in its proper context. And the same thing with the sexual union. Because if you use the sexual relationship out of its proper context and out of control, you're going to get hurt. Like your parents always told you, right? Your parents always told you this. Don't play with the fire unless you want to get burned. Don't get burned. I'm trying to keep you from getting burned. Don't play with this fire. Because this is what it will do to your life. This is what it will do to your home. I don't want that to happen to my home. It will burn it down. I, that's the inescapable reality of fire. Out of control. So the practical lesson is refuse to minimize adultery. You know, I started this message, I told you about a pastor and he thought he was doing something so great by confessing to the church that he had committed adultery, twenty he said, 20 years ago. But it wasn't 20 years ago, right? I told you, it was 27. So what was he doing? He was minimizing his sin. And it actually turned out he committed adultery with a 16-year-old girl in his church office. And he kept her, basically used her as his, as his slave. 
For that man to think for one second he can continue in the ministry, he's deceived. He is no longer blameless for the, for the ministry of the Word of God. But he minimized his sin right there. Because when he said 20 years ago, that would have made her like 23 or 24. You see what I'm saying? Don't minimize. See, we, we all like to minimize our sin. Oh, well, everybody's doing it. It's not that bad. only did it once. I, I stopped. Be careful. Don't minimize sin. The third thing is, you'll be shamed. When you commit adultery, you're committing a sin that will bring you shame. You'll be burned. You'll be destroyed. You'll be shamed. Verse 30 to 35. Now, notice his, what, what, the, what the writer is arguing here. In verse 30 and 31, he's talking about a thief. Why does the thief steal? Look at verse 30. Why does he steal? Why does this thief steal? So he's hungry. Now, can you sympathize with someone who is so hungry, the only way he could get something to eat is to steal? Can you at least sympathize with somebody like that? I can. I feel bad for, pe- for anybody in that kind of a situation or condition. We can naturally sympathize someone in that poverty. And by the way, this thief does not hurt anyone to commit his, his theft. He doesn't kidnap anybody. He doesn't do any other violence or murder. He just is hungry. And it says he, he steals to satisfy his soul. That's it. We can sympathize with that. Are you with me? But... Even him has to pay the price. There's still a consequence for his crime when he's caught. And that's what he's saying in verse 31. When he's found, he still has... You know, if you, what, what's this saying? I put it up here and that's why I have this on the, on the screen. If you commit a crime, you'll do the time. <laughs> even, even if you were in a bad way of mind or whatever, and you felt like I had to do it to live, whatever. If you commit a crime, you'll do the time. So that's basically what he's saying. He's still going to restore sevenfold. In other words, he has to make a full compensation. Sevenfold is the idea of a full restitution of his crime that he has done. He's committed a crime, right? Commit the crime, do the time. A full compensation must be made, and the thief might be ruined financially. Because it says he's going to have to restore sevenfold. He's going to have to give all the substance of his house for the crime that he did. I feel bad for this guy. But what is, what's the point of his argument? The point of his argument is at least the thief can make a compensation for his crime. At least he can square things away with society and then move on. Once he pays that sevenfold, then he's paid for his crime and he can move on. But the one who commits adultery, you cannot fully compensate that. That's, that's, that's really the point of what he's saying. Because adultery is theft of another kind. You're sleeping with someone's husband or wife. You're stealing Something that's not yours. When you have sex outside of the marriage bond, you're stealing something that isn't yours. And when you do it with somebody who's married, you're stealing somebody's husband or wife. And if you do that, what, what's, what does he say? You lack in verse 32. What does it say? You, you tell me. 
What does it say you lack? If you, if you think you can steal somebody else's husband or wife and sleep with them, what do you lack? Understanding. Now, do you think it's easy to preach a message like this, by the way? Do you think this is easy? This is not easy. <laughs> do you, you know, I, I thought, there's nobody who wants to hear this message. I mean, naturally, we don't want to hear this. Like, Pastor, will you just calm down? No, it's in the Bible. I'm just trying to help you see what's in the Bible. But we do need to hear it. Because there's a lot of adultery in our society. You know, when I went to Japan, the missionary would look at these apartment buildings. You say, you see that apartment building? That's a building where men will just go with a prostitute and sleep with her, and then he'll go home at night with his wife. And basically, the Japanese wives know what the men are doing. They don't maybe know exactly what time and what day, but they're doing it. And that's just the way the culture is. Well, if that's just the way the culture is, that culture needs to repent. Because adultery is a wicked sin. We have to understand how things work. Remember fire? You have to understand how fire works and respect it. We have to understand how the sexual relationship works and we have to respect it. And a thief can steal something and make things right with society, but he's saying here basically that the one who commits adultery lacks sense and he will suffer wounds and dishonor shall he get, verse 33. Wounds and dishonor. His reproach shall not be wiped away even. Now, basically what the father's doing here to the son, he's painting a worst case scenario picture. Because he basically says it this way. He said, son, you might sleep with that man's wife and he might not he might not accept any level of compensation in a in a court of law he will be after his full pound of flesh on you because if you living under the law the adulterer could be what what could happen to the adulterer when they're found out what was the ultimate price death so he's saying you you could steal somebody's wife and if you look at these verses, jealousy is the rage of a man. He will be so, he may be, you may just steal the wrong man's wife. And he will be so full of jealousy, he will not spare when he's before the court of law in verse 34. He will not, you will not be able to pay him off. There's no ransom to pay this guy off. He will not rest content. You could give him all the gifts you want to give him, but he's going to be after his pound of flesh and he's going to want you dead. Because you know, if a man loves his wife and somebody sleeps with her, that's really what he wants. Because you just took the most valuable thing in my life. I can't imagine if anybody would do that to my wife. I, I, I would go through the roof. And I would, want, I would want God to bring vengeance. And I wouldn't hurt him myself, I wouldn't. But I would want God to bring his vengeance. So you'll be shamed. A wound and dishonor shall he get. His reproach shall not be wiped away. What an awful price. And the practical counsel is take the long look at where your actions today will lead you. Take the long look. Because obviously with sexual sin, there is a pleasure physically that you get at that moment that you don't get anywhere else. That's why people do it, okay? Can we talk straight? There is a pleasure in it that you don't get doing anything else. 
but it's going to bring you a lot of pain. Now you have to know how to control your body. Bring your body under control. Let me look at, go to two verses and then we'll close. Go, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And I'm just going to read these scriptures and then we'll close. Because I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want you to be burned. I, want, I don't want you to be ashamed. That's, that's my heart today. I don't want you to feel ashamed before God one day. We're going to give an account to God. By the way, I visited Consuelo yesterday. Dear Consuelo in our church for many years. And she said, I'm going to, I'm going to be in heaven in a few days. She never told me that before. She said, I'm going to be in heaven in a few days. I'm very weak and very sick. And then I told her as I was leaving, I said, Consuelo, I'll see you soon. She said, in heaven. Like just that fast. After I said, I'll see you soon, she said, in heaven. It's like, wow. But we're going to see the Lord one day. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, verse 25, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And I read all the verses about the crowns to Consuelo yesterday. I said, Consuelo, God has crowns for you. This incorruptible crown, a crown of life, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Go please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul, writing to the church of Thessalonica, said, said these words. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That Greek word there is pornea, by the way. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's your body. Maybe even your particular organs, I'm not sure, but your vessel is your body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So we don't live as the Gentiles live. We have to live as, as unto Christ. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God has not called you unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. Now, if you really have not liked this message and despised this message even, verse 8 is for you. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man. You don't despise me, but I believe I've just tried to preach what the Bible says here, but God, don't despise God. Let us abide by His, His convictions, His standards of righteousness. We want to be righteous. We want to possess our body in sanctification and honor. And God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we would be pure and that would be holy. That we would be holy. So I say, as I close, turn to the Lord. Turn to Jesus. Have you done the sin? He forgives. Jesus Christ will wash your sin away with the precious blood that He shed on the cross. How much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works? The blood of Christ cleanses your conscience. Let the blood of Jesus cover all your sins.
But if you're about to go out this door and you're thinking about doing some sins this week or in the, in the following days, stop! There's an awful pain and an awful price you will pay. You will be destroyed. You will be burned. You will be ashamed. Let's stand together as we pray. So Lord, we turn to You. As You said in the prophet Isaiah, let the unrighteous man forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And He will have mercy upon him. And to our God. For He will abundantly pardon. Lord, we need that abundant pardon today. Lord, all of us have sinned and come short of Your glory. That's why we need You, Lord Jesus. You paid the ultimate price. You paid the death price. You were destroyed for our sins, Lord Jesus. You were burned for our sins. You suffered the burning of anguish. The, compara- the, the equivalent of hellfire on the cross for our sins. You suffered shame when You became sin for us, Lord Jesus. You died for sinners such as we who have committed these gross sins that were even spoken of in Corinth. Fornication and adultery and idolatry and murder and theft and drunkenness. Lord, all of that sin was born in Your body on the cross. Oh God, thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your love. And Lord, thank You for the cleansing that You give to us. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and You make this Your prayer today. Dear Lord Jesus, cleanse me of all sin today. And if You have been engaging in sexual sin, I say get help. Talk to somebody. I mean, talk to Jesus right now and say, Oh God, cleanse me with the precious blood of Jesus. Thank You, Lord, that in spite of my sin, You still love me. In spite of my sin, You say, come unto Me and that You will give me rest. Lord, I need that rest today. I need Your peace. In spite of my sin, I can have Your peace that passes all understanding and I can have peace with You, O God, through Jesus Christ. So take that peace today. Receive His love. So now, Lord, work in our lives. We love You and we praise You, Lord, for Your goodness. In Jesus' name, Amen.